Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Seven Innings Podcast. As February starts to drift into March, and we inch a little bit closer to the mayhem and a little bit closer to conference play, uh, you can get your lineup card on your Twitter and your gram. Uh, we're going to cover the Mary Nutter this week, uh, get you ready for the Judy Garman. We've also got uh, Megan and Miranda together again. Holly Rose going to talk to Gio. And we're going to take your questions. we got some great stuff in our mailbag. Uh, thanks for sending in your questions to us on the Twitter. And we'll cover all that ground on the show. I'm Beth Mowens. We've got Holly Rowe, Michelle Smith, and perhaps her dog Emmy with us today. Um, <laughs> Amanda Scarborough, Caleb Bro, Jen Schroeder. J-Mac and Buzz. And I think uh, we're going to jump right in, ladies. And what are we seeing out there um, around the nation as, as we get ready to talk about the Mary Nutter? Uh, more upsets, more um, rioting amongst the rankings. And um, Smitty, what are you seeing out there amongst all this parody in college softball? Well, BMO, I have to say, even though it is February, I feel like it's mayhem already. I mean, it is crazy, all the parody, all the upsets, the fact that there are a lot of teams competing with everybody all the way around. I love it. It's great softball. What would say you, bro? Um, well, no one is safe, Michelle. This has been a, like you said, a crazy start to the year. And, and for me, I look at it and the offenses that teams are putting out on the field are so dangerous. I think the hitting has gone crazy. And I know you as a pitcher, Amanda, might say differently. However, I think the offenses <laughs> has been unreal. No, I think that we're seeing the same thing, Kayla. And it seems to me in the first few weeks, it's either like a blowout game or it's a one-run game. So that's what's really stuck out to me is that the hitting is really coming alive or it becomes a pitcher's duel. And we're still looking for those pitchers that are going to be able to step up and the pitchers that have, you know, slower starts like a Gabby Plain or Amber Pfizer type pitcher. Uh, Jen, what have you seen? Well, specifically at Mary Nutter, I think Florida came out as the big winner. I mean, they go four or five. They only lose to UCLA. And you talk about those one-run ball games, Amanda. 3-2 win against Arizona. 3-2 win against Northwestern. Just a 4-1 win against ASU. And then just a 4-5 loss against UCLA. So right to your point there. But Florida went to SoCal and really dominated, I think. I think what I'm seeing, this is Holly, is that the Big 12 has a little more depth in it this season. Obviously, Texas is off to a great start, 15-1. and Baylor at 13-2 and is surprising some folks. And then Oklahoma, you look at the Big 12 standings at 11-3, and I think that's probably a little bit of a surprise for people. So uh, it's fun to see a little more depth in the Big 12. You guys are covering all the bases here. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk a little Florida later. We're going to talk a little um, Baylor and Big 12. We're going to talk some offenses. But uh, what I'm seeing around the country is a lot of fannies and seats, ladies. Uh, we saw record attendance in Clearwater last weekend, record attendance um, in Palm Springs for the Mary Nutter this weekend. And why not when we've got the games that that we've been able um, to see on the, uh, on the diamond. So at the Nutter, you had Washington tearing into Oklahoma. Um, Bailey Klingler with a couple of home runs. Shro, you touched on UCLA, uh, beating Florida, but Florida also got a win over Arizona. The unlikely Hannah Adams, uh, with a couple of yard balls. So the, the head to heads again, I, I think um, were, were something that that I I love to see at the Mary Nutter and all those people going out to see softball. The Mary Nutter is always going to be one of those events that is uh, a bucket list, like the Women's College World Series, like St. Pete Clearwater. 
the thing that I really enjoy about all these games this time of year are all the different matchups between all the different conferences and seeing what you're getting early on in the season so that you can kind of try to predict what's going to happen in the Women's College World Series. And right now, what I think is everything's unpredictable. <laughs> well, guys, I was at the Mary Nutter this weekend, and it was insane. They're saying over 32,000 people on the weekend. That Saturday game, the Washington OU, UCLA, Wisconsin, and then UCLA, Florida – on Wrigley in the outfield, it was about six rows deep. They're saying over 10,000 people there that day. So you talk, I, I was shocked the fire marshal wasn't called. I mean, it was just so <laughs> wild. You couldn't get anywhere. So the growth of our sport, the excitement of games. I mean, even Wisconsin having a fantastic weekend at the Nutter, it was awesome. Yeah, I think that you really got to see whose stock went up, whose stock went down a little bit. In my opinion, of course, we talked about Florida. Their stock went up. They went 4-1, and one, played really well, made some noise. I also think Wisconsin's stock went up. I thought that they played really well. And though they came away with a 2-3 and three record, that record easily could have been 4-1. and one. They had two walk-offs hit against them with Washington and UCLA. I thought that Caitlin Mentz looked really good. And that Wisconsin team always fights. I love watching them play because they're going to give anybody a run for their money. And then also, I thought the Oklahoma stock went down a little bit. I was a bit disappointed in how they played. And one other thing that stuck out to me is just UCLA's lack of pitching behind Megan Framo. Who is going to step up? Is anybody going to step up? They relied on her so much. How is she going to handle a long season when she's by far their number one and also their number two pitcher at the same time? Well, that you guys bring up some great points. So for Florida, it it looks right now like it's a a two woman rotation with Lugo and Trilichik. For Oklahoma, we're still not seeing much of G. Juarez. Uh, took a loss um, in in that one. Um, some other notable Sis Bates uh, still not back for Washington, but they continue to roll. They are uh, number two in the polls. UCLA gets all the first place votes this week. Um, as they uh, remain undefeated. Uh, but uh, already we're seeing some questions about pitching depth. I think that's a discussion we're going to have a little bit later on with what's going on in Knoxville with Tennessee. We're starting, you know, you're relying on a lot of young arms uh, early in the season. And, and perhaps that's why we have uh, what's number two on our uh, uh, lineup card, which is our rankings riot. Uh, nice bumps this week for the Gators for undefeated Oregon and for LSU. Uh, Michigan did take a tumble. They lost three times. Um, and a shout-out to Liberty. Well done uh, by the Flames. They finally got a top-10 win after seven top-10 losses. Their eighth top-10 opponent of the season, Amber Bishop, did get a walk-off home run off of uh, Bobian to beat uh, the Wolverines. But some movement in the rankings. UCLA, however, Holly Rose still sits atop. Um, out there in Westwood. Well, I wanted to ask the group. I think that Megan Faremo might be the story of this season so far, only only to be surpassed by her teammate Genevieve Perez. So I think that when Rachel Garcia is, is going to sit out, she's trying for the Olympic team, she's redshirting this season for UCLA softball, I think a lot of people thought maybe she would take a step back. So I think she's the story of the year. I couldn't agree more, Holly. And just jumping in, what you guys don't know is on Saturday, when UCLA went to go play Wisconsin and Florida, Amanda, to your point, she wasn't supposed to throw at all. They were giving Lexi Sosa game one, and then they were giving Holly Acevedo game two. And Megan ends up having to enter in both of those games. So yes, I think there's no doubt she's the story. She's stepping up huge for them. But also... 
she's she's taking on so many innings right now, and she is the number one, the number two, and the number three right now for UCLA. Well, and I think what we're seeing is that every every team is going to have to have a staff, and yeah, that is going to be a little bit of a conundrum for UCLA. But you see it as well with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. It doesn't matter any program. Michigan's another great example. You have to have a staff of pitchers. Yep. Well, um, Texas suffered their first loss. We're going to talk about their their big week, um, including UCLA coming up, and they already played um, Louisiana Baylor with three comeback wins and eleven game home win streak. We'll cover some ground there um, when Holly talks to uh, the folks in Waco. Um, but the, but let's move on, guys, to that uh, Megan meets Miranda. Megan beats Miranda um, as, as those two former Oregon Ducks got back together. Scarborough, you were on the call for that one. Um, they split their doubleheader, but in the opener, it was uh, Megan Miranda once again. You know, I didn't think that we were going to get this. I just thought maybe Jerry Glasgow and Mike White would get together and say, hey, do we really want these two to throw against each other? Uh, but got the lineup card for game one. Kleist was on it, got the lineup card for Texas, and Ellish was on it. So everybody was really pumped about that. And to me, it lived up to its billing. And I, I think of Megan Kleist in this situation going up against several of her old teammates, world teammates, and then pitching against Miranda Ellis, her old bullpen mate, going up against her head coach. There was way more pressure on Megan Kleist to perform in this game and have some nerves flowing. And you guys, here's how the game started off, is that she walked the first two hitters. It was a really tight wow. strike zone. Like, the umpire wasn't giving much off the plate. And so it really, to, in my opinion, could have crashed from there, right? Nerves flowing. She's just so uh, tight about what's going on, but she handled it beautifully. Only gave up one run, and then from there, really, really settled in. So I was impressed with just her mental toughness in that game, Megan Kleist, that is. And also, um, Louisiana went up three to one. Texas threatened to come back. They scored one in the bottom of the seventh inning and they had a chance to score more and Megan Kleist shut them down. So really what stuck out to me is Megan Kleist's mental toughness. Uh, and she talked about too how it was a really hard transition not playing last year and we're just throwing to a net for pretty much all, uh, all year and just trying to get ready for this season. So I, I, I was really impressed by her and I thought that she looked great. Yeah, and Amanda, I have to say, I was super impressed with her changeup. The way that she floated that pitch through there made everything else explode through the zone. Uh, and after those two walks in that first inning, that was the pitch that she used a lot to help get herself out of that jam. I, I was impressed after that first inning, uh, having not seen her for a bit, having the year off, like you said, uh, last year, super impressed with Megan Kleist. And what I thought was so interesting, Amanda, was that till about the fourth inning, Miranda Ellish had two hits and none of her other teammates had a hit. So Miranda Ellish going head-to-head against Megan Kleist, she had two hits. She was winning the game at that point, and it wasn't until middle of the game where it kind of took a turn and went in Louisiana's favor. Of course, they were the two former teammates uh, with the Oregon Ducks, um, Megan Kleist and Miranda Ellish. And then when the coach with the coaching change, um, a lot of the Ducks went in a lot of different directions. Um, again, um, terrific start. Meanwhile, back in Eugene, they are still undefeated. Um, the, the schedule is very favorable for them early on. They do have some tests, uh, coming up, but it was fun to see those two, uh, locking horns, pun intended, um, <laughs> for, for what is a huge, um, uh, week, uh, coming up and, and we'll, uh, we'll preview UCLA Texas and take a look at the whole weekend, uh, forecast. But first, how about a little slice of Horo and Rodo? Let's talk some Baylor Bears softball. 
Joining me now is Baylor pitcher Gia Rodoni, and you had to sit out last year with an injury. How hard was that for you? It was absolutely miserable. Um, I didn't think it'd be that hard initially when I talked to coach about redshirting, but when we went to our first trip, which was in Mexico, it was awful, and I just didn't know how to help myself, um, like just apply myself to the team and how to be in a different role, uh, not being on the field and leading. So it was definitely challenging, and it took me probably a whole month to figure out what my new role was on the team, but it it was nothing what I expected. I know. I think even for pitchers, it's particularly hard because if you don't have the ball in the circle, you're like, how how can I help? Right. So what did you learn about yourself as a teammate that now you can still apply to this year? Um, well, I learned that I could help them out seeing things just from being in the dugout. Like if pitching-wise, especially if they're slowing down on something, I was able to be like Coach Newman, like they're slowing down. If she's not necessarily focusing on them and watching the hitter and their tendencies, I was able to help her also in like a different perspective. So it's just learning to learn different positions too and watch what my infielders do behind me while I'm pitching. So just just basically learning about other positions too, not just worrying about my own. So it was definitely a learning experience. It's good because you're a fresh set of eyes, but now you come back this year and you're back in the circle as maybe a more well-rounded player. How, how do you think you're better this year? Um, I'd say I'm better, just more of a knowledge player now, not necessarily, like I said, focused on my position only, but just knowing the game better around. I focus a lot more on hitting and watching batter's tendencies and just being able to like learn coaches and like look for different things like coaches picking stuff. So just I'd say on every aspect, just a lot wiser and a lot better. So now you've got to come back and pitch. And I think anybody who's been out for a while, that's always kind of hard to get your arm speed back and your whip, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So to give me an assessment of where you think you are right now in February. Um, I wouldn't say I'm at obviously 100%, but having the first weekend in Florida was definitely a good warm up and it didn't uh, waste any time welcoming me back. So um, I'd probably say I'm about 70%, like just still getting comfortable, still filling out pitches and getting used to umpire zones again haven't seen those in a very long time so just still trying to feel the game out again after not being able to be a part of it okay be patient with me i don't remember what your injury was what what were you out with my back i had a um, stress fracture back there that we were dealing with and vertebrae that weren't aligned so it was pinching my nerves and then i also had a um, knee problem that was dealt with in the fall of 2018 which wasn't ready to go by February so they kind of like were conflicting with each other when February came so there was like absolutely no way I could be able to go make it through season yeah yeah and maybe it's just like I just need to get healthy so yes. do you, now you're healthy yes, yes okay good all right I know it's early in the year but tell me about Baylor like what do you think is good about this team I would say just their grit. Um, they went through a very bad season last year, but like it didn't stop them from working hard in the offseason or coming back even hungrier. So we have a lot of experience on the team. We only lost a couple of girls from last year, so I just feel like we're coming together more chemistry-wise and also just like we just got better overall, um, just knowledge. And uh, there's a lot of leadership in the upperclassmen, so we're very um, just heavy upperclassmen. So I think that's good for the young ones now to see that and just to be able to hop on board and – feel like we're gelling really well together so awesome yes. all right well congratulations on being back being strong and best wishes for a great season thank you so much thanks Jeff. i think the really great thing about gia is she had to sit out all of last season as she talked about and coming back from injury for a pitcher is never easy she said it's taken her some time but i just want to say that after we did that interview she threw a no hitter so you know <laughs> I, I think she's inspired to go out there and figure things out but they they've got a great staff they've got depth and it's good to see her back in the circle for baylor
Do we need to start tracking this, Holly, when you um, interview folks? They go out and throw no hitters or, or hit uh, hit bombs. Is this something that is a developing <laughs> situation? I'm just saying I did two interviews this week and both pitchers had no hitters. I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> More on Amber Pfizer to come when we talk about our uh, our players of the week later on down the lineup. But uh, let's stay in uh, the Lone Star State. Of course, we've already talked a little bit about Texas uh, with their double header against Louisiana. How about this, though? Still to come, uh, UCLA midweek. They've got Washington and Michigan coming up over the weekend uh, in the Judy Garmin. So a lot going on with Texas. Um, but, uh, uh, Jen, what are you looking forward to uh, with this showdown now, Bruins and Longhorns? Well, the first thing I'm looking forward to is the first 250 guests get a Kelly Ice starter pack of nice. aviators, sunglasses, and a scrunchie for her perfect power pony. Uh, but truly, if we look back at 2016, 2017, the Oregon-UCLA rivalry was so strong. And this is Mike White and all the former Oregon players' first trip back to Westwood since 2017. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of hostility with the Colleen Sullivan transfer. So beyond just the actual softball game, I think the emotions are going to be very high in Westwood tomorrow. Well, and with the softball game, I mean, Jen, this is Kayla, but you're talking about two of the best offenses in the country. They're number one and yeah. number two. Texas is batting 404 as a team and UCLA is batting 401. And if you combine their rosters, they have eight hitters batting over 400. So you're talking about an extreme explosion of offense, a huge challenge for their pitching staffs to work through one through nine facing every single batter. It's going to be a tough challenge and it could be a really, really big game for Texas if they're able to pull away with a win against UCLA on the road. I was impressed with Texas. They are our top five in the NCAA in eight different categories. They lead the country in hitting, lead the country in doubles. So I think it's really exciting to see Mike White taking that hitting prowess. He's always been so good at that. You know, Oregon was often the number one team in the country offensively. So he's he's picking up right where he left off at Texas. It's very exciting. And if memory serves me correctly, while he was at Oregon, they had some success um, going to Westwood. Uh, Bruin bat update, by the way. Aaliyah Jordan uh, hitting 550. Maya Brady with uh, six home runs. Uh, you can't count the ones she hit against Team USA, but that may have been the most impressive of them all. Uh, I think that was against a former Bruin, right? Who'd she hit that off of? Carter? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's going to be um, great if you're in the area. Get to UCLA and Texas. And that'll lead us into the weekend forecast, everybody. Um, why don't you uh, go ahead and jump in for us, Amanda? Uh, you know, UCLA, Texas, um, Louisiana, Florida, Arizona, Alabama. Minnesota is uh, taking on Auburn this weekend. You got great matchups at the Garmin, including Washington, LSU, Texas, Michigan, Michigan, Washington. And uh, that Baylor club uh, will see some tests against Florida State, Scarborough. So many games. I'm going to have to pull out like five or six different devices to be able to watch them all. I hope I don't get kicked out of any of them because of the login issues. Um, but I, I think going back to Texas, you know, we talked about UCLA really relying on Megan Framo. I think that Texas is in a really similar situation with Miranda Ellish because of the fact that they rely on her so much. So she started game one against Louisiana last night and then she got the save last night just coming in, you guys, even for the last out. They didn't trust Shea O'Leary enough to finish that game. 
game. So Shea O'Leary to me looked better for Texas. So, and I'm thinking ahead to their schedule when they play Washington, when they play Michigan, who else are they going to rely on? Are they going to trust Shea O'Leary to go the distance? And, and though I think that she's a better number two option for Texas than a Holly Acevedo is for UCLA, she's going to have to pitch in some big games. And I think that she was tested last night, proved herself. I think she's going to be ready for the Judy Garmin this weekend. And the Judy Garmin, I mean, just so many good matchups. That's going to be the place to be. I cannot wait to tune in for more. What about you guys? Yeah, Amanda, I, I think that this is a really big weekend for the teams that we're wondering, how are they? Strength of schedule, all those things that start to come together. Number two pitchers, number three pitchers, how are the offenses going to be able to react against maybe better pitching or, or teams that are starting to be in midseason form? A big question for me is going to be Oregon going out to the Tulsa-Oklahoma State Invitational. They're going to play Oklahoma State, Louisville, Tulsa. That's going to be their first Big test, in my opinion. Yes, they have that win over Northwestern, but what Oregon team is going to show up? And, uh, you know, I think that's the big question. They're still undefeated. What does their weekend look like? I'm excited to see. Yeah, I think, too, looking at Oklahoma State, it's going to be the best offense that Oregon's faced thus far, and they've got a ton of power. So how does the home run ball affect Oregon? Uh, because that's what's been so impressive. They've been so cohesive this season uh, and really been dominant in the circle, on the field. They have one of the best fielding percentages in the country. They just look like a complete team. Um, the other matchup that I'm really interested in is, I think it's really cool, Arizona and Alabama have done a home-and-home home the last two years. So we're going to get to see Arizona get a really tough road match matchup. I mean, really and truly, the Rhodes House is one of the most difficult difficult environments to play in in the country. And I think Alabama's a different team at home. So you saw last weekend they played Louisville, Penn State. It looks like Montana Fouts is getting her footing a little bit underneath her. She looked a lot stronger, had nine strikeouts. And the other thing about Alabama is they have a number two, Lexi Kilfoyle, that's getting a lot of big starts so far. So I think for Arizona to go on the road, how does that team play in a tough, hostile environment? I wanted to ask you pitchers a question because Kayla just said something interesting. And, you know, oftentimes in softball, none of the February games would be on the air. Like we wouldn't see people on TV. And so pitchers had an opportunity to work out these kinks and get their speed and get their spins right and hit their spots. Do you think because we see teams more on TV now, it's it's hard for pitchers? Like they're, they're not really in midseason form yet. What kind of pressure does that add? Yeah, I think it adds a lot of pressure, Holly. Uh, and it comes down to being able to scout somebody early in the year for games mid-season or later in the season. And that's what teams are doing all the time. They're recording our shows so that they can go back and give their offenses a better look at pitchers. But it definitely adds a little bit of pressure, but that's what it should do. I mean, if you can, if you can't handle the pressure, you shouldn't be in the circle anyway. And it all comes down to situational. <laughs> it should be, it all comes down to situational pitching. It doesn't matter if people know that that you throw a rise ball and a drop ball, you still have to be able to hit it. You still have to be able to pitch it in key situations. So for me, sometimes we're too protective in our sport and worried about who knows what about us. You still have to perform. Yeah. And I just think it's going to make pitchers better. I think that, you know, we, we, there was a little bit of a lack of pitching for a while, an increase in offense, a decrease and pitchers who are uh, just like a shutdown pitcher, like Monica Abbott was and Kat Osterman. So I think it's going to make pitchers better. It's just like competition makes you better because teams, are scouting them more and knowing more of what they're going to throw, you have to go hard and work harder in the bullpen to really fine tune your pitches and to work on making your weaknesses, your strengths and making your strengths even better, Beth. 
All right, let's uh, let's answer some of your questions in the mailbag. Number seven here on our lineup card. Still to come, we'll shag some stats and talk player of the week. Um, we we got a question, Holly Rowe, about a deeper dive on the Florida Gators. We've already talked about um, success at the Mary Nutter. What say you of, of uh, Florida? Kind of below the radar a little bit leading into this week. Yeah, I think the Gators are for real. 16 and 2 overall. You know, they had to replace so many great players in Amanda Lorenz, Kelly Barnhill. I mean, these are two generational type players. And I just love what they're doing. They've got seven hitters that are hitting over 300. Their offense is kind of popping. That's been an issue for the Gators the last couple of years. And right now their ERA as a staff is 1.80. So I think the pitchers, pitchers have done a great job. Natalie Lugo getting the majority of the innings right now, and Riley Trilicek is getting the other. So they've, they've done a nice job. I do think the Gators are for real. Well, and Holly, one of the things that I really like about the, the Gators is on their offensive side that they've got more walks than strikeouts, so they're getting on base. When you get on base and the big hit comes, you win games. Carla Eccles, a real nice addition for them with a batting average and power. Uh, out to the Big West, uh, we got an email uh, wanting us to uh, to trumpet their early season success. So here you go. Um, they've got wins over Oklahoma, ASU, Missouri. They've beaten teams out of the ACC and the Pac-12, led by Fullerton, Long Beach, and UC Davis, Shro. The Big West is always searching for respect. So Long Beach State beating OU, Cal State Fullerton taking it to ASU, and then Davis run-ruling Missouri in six innings. That's wins over the Big 12, the SEC, and the Pac-12. Uh, they're making some noise, Beth. Well, and, and here's what I think that it comes down to, though, you guys. You think about what it takes to make it to the World Series, what it takes to make it through the postseason. You have to be able to beat a team twice, essentially, in regionals and supers. And I think that teams like the Big West, I think teams take them for granted, ranked teams that go up against them. And so, yes, I think that teams in the Big West can knock them off once. I don't think, to this point, they can, they have to prove me wrong, I don't think that they can beat them twice. Long Beach with a team ERA of 3.58, Fresno State with a team ERA of 2.23. They can knock you off once, but the question is, can they knock you off twice with their pitching staff? And I think that's the biggest question mark to prove wrong. And Amanda, you know, Jen, these are great conversations to have. You have to remember 20 years ago, this was a conference. These were schools, the Cal Poly Pomona's, the Fullerton's, the Long Beach State's, always very strong year after year. Then the SEC starts. All those athletes from California start to go east. And I think it, it hurt this conference a little bit. Now they're resurging. But these are, if you look at the history of the Cal Polys, the Fullerton and Long Beach States, historically over the last 20 to 30 years in women's collegiate softball, these have been very, very strong programs. It's great, in my opinion, to see them again having a really strong year. Well, and to that point, Michelle, even Fresno State, I know they're not in the Big West, uh, but they're having an incredible year. They're knocking on the door for a top 25 seed, and that's a team that back in the day was consistently at the World Series. Yep, they actually uh, have uh, one of those national championships for those teams out West uh, back in the day. It, it, I th- and I think it goes back to the earlier conversation, gang, and what Mike Candrea uh, told us when we started to see more parity you don't, you're not hiding your pitchers anymore. You want them in those pressure situations. You want them in those big games because now it's all about your database, uh, g- gathering information, gathering your analytics. So when you do see those teams and those pitchers and those hitters again later in the season, nothing is new and you can strategize a lot better when you have that database. You can also strategize a lot better when you have a shagging stats t-shirt. 
America, we hear you. <laughs> we hear your pleas, your cries, your begs for seven innings podcast gear. And I, I want you to know that our bosses are working on that. And we hope to have um, some shag and stats teased. Maybe you could send us your ideas. You know, it's got to have... I, I feel like Holly's got to have a presence in there, whether it's a, a Betty Boop style of logo or something like that, to sass it up a little bit for the Shag and Stats tease, Holly. I'll see what I can come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, what can we come up with, who wants to start with Tennessee? What is going on in Knoxville? They are 8-6. and six. They have played a very difficult schedule. They have two young pitchers that are getting a lot of time in tight spots. Um, they got wins over Northwestern and ASU, but losses to Arizona and Texas. They should be able to find their way a little bit in the next couple of weeks before they jump uh, headfirst into the SEC. Well, I'll jump in real quick, uh, BMO. The, the first thing is Ashley Rogers is is not in. She has not thrown an inning yet. She's injured. And that's a, that's a huge hurt for them because she was their main pitcher last year. Callie Turner is a freshman out of Lakeland, Florida, left-handed pitcher. She's been doing a really good job for them, but she's got 29 walks to so just 42 strikeouts. So as a young freshman, that's one of the things you learned right away. You've got to limit the free passes because that just really hurts you. The other thing that I think is hurting Tennessee is their batting average as a team is only 269. Um, they've only got 34 walks as an offensive program to 61 strikeouts. So when you start looking at all their statistical numbers, you see why the reason they're struggling is because they're just not putting enough runs up on the board. Their pitchers are young. They've got some injuries, so they're going to need to turn it around. Yeah, you're completely right, Michelle. And, you know, diving deeper into those stats, you like you said, not enough runs, only 60 runs on the season so far. Comparatively, you look at like the best team in the country right now, UCLA has like more than double. They have like 130 runs on the season. So not pushing not enough runs across the plate. And they're also dead last in fielding percentage. So you thought maybe they were going to get Ali Shipman back behind the plate, but they still haven't figured out their defense yet behind their young young pitching staff. We also have a question in the mailbag, uh, Scarborough. Let's talk a little bit about the Big Ten. So, uh, and the top of the Big Ten specifically, Northwestern, Michigan, Washington, Minnesota. They have some nice wins over Florida, Florida State, Oklahoma. But Amanda, after this weekend, they are just two and 13 against the Pac-12 and the SEC. I'm excited to see them this weekend. Minnesota has Auburn. Michigan has Washington. Uh, do we have the data required yet to talk about uh, the depth of the Big Ten? Oh, it's so hard because I still feel like it's so early in season. Um you know, their pitching has kind of let me down a little bit. And I hate to just keep ragging on Amber Pfizer. It's just, I had their regional last year. I saw what she's capable of, what she can do, how dominant she can be. And that was the same Amber Pfizer for Minnesota that I expected to come in this season. And then same thing with Daniel Williams for Northwestern. She was a lefty freshman last year, just not putting up the same ERA. Her ERA last year was like 1.5 something. This year already it's 4.55. So she's given up a lot more earned runs. So that to me is the biggest difference maker is that these pitchers are giving up more runs and that hurts the strength of the Big Ten and it helps the strength of, of conferences like the Big 12 who uh, their pitching has actually gotten better and I think it's a big difference maker. Well, and Amanda, just to add, if you really look at the Big Ten right now, the top two teams, and again, this is overall, obviously conference hasn't started, but Iowa and Purdue are the top two teams in their rankings that are, excuse me, their statistical uh, overall ab- um, uh, win-loss record at 12-2 and two and 12-3, and three respectively, and then Michigan at 10-3. At, at so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. 
Yeah, we, we started to see uh, terrific depth from the conference last year. Of course, Minnesota gets to the Women's College World Series. Wisconsin put a scare in OU and uh, Michigan ready to get back in the mix as well. Um, this would probably be a good time, I think, for uh, um, Holly Rowe to chat with Amber Pfizer. Uh, and then Holly can lead us into some shagging stats. I am here with Minnesota pitcher Amber Pfizer. And, you know, you are coming off such an exciting year for Minnesota. You get to the Women's College World Series. How did you use that to build towards this season? Um, yeah, we just know that we can't compare ourselves to last season and that it's going to be a new ride. It's going to be a lot harder to get back there this year. I mean, people think that we're just a one-season type thing, and it was a dream come true. And, it's, I mean, we're going to fight our way to get back there. We have to take one game, one pitch at a time. I was just watching you work out there in the circle today, and you look so intentional to me. Like, everything's very intentional. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what you've worked on with your mindset. I mean, I feel like I've gotten a little bit more um, beat up this preseason, and I think that's kind of what's helped me, like, get my mind right, know that I have to take every pitch, every moment, um, one at a time, and just forget about what happened last time, and then attack the hitter, trust what I have, and know that I'm going to trust my defense behind me. You do trust your defense. I see you're like up, up, the ball's up, and then you trust your guys to go get it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They're, I'm very confident in the defense behind me, and, I mean, offense when putting up the runs, and I can't thank them enough for it all. Yeah, your run support is terrific. I noticed you have three players hitting 355 yeah. or better in the lineup. What's that like knowing that you've got some help? I mean, it's awesome just knowing that we have so much confidence in the, the hitters, and when they get down themselves or whatever, we know that the next person right behind them is going to pick them up. I mean, I'm really confident in every single one of the hitters, and they just go out there and want to do what's best for the team. It's not very individual anymore, like, at all, and it's just everything that we do for, do for the team. So you said you've gotten beat up a little bit in this early part of the season, mm -hmm. but you're also coming off a no-hitter. So tell me what was working in that game, and when, you, when you're really in a good place, what does that feel like? Right. Um, I honestly just think I've been getting ahead or getting behind in the counts a lot lately, and just facing, like, tough teams, you can't do that. So I think yesterday was a good time for me to turn things around, and I got ahead in the counts, and I think I was a lot more successful with that. So, um... Basically, that's what I would say is what's working for me. And then I finally got my off-speed working again. I was struggling with that for a little bit. Yeah. That's the key, the off-speed. Yeah. Okay, so how'd you get it back working? I don't know. I just have been practicing, throwing it a lot, and figuring it out. And now I've got it down and got the rhythm down with it. Well, thanks for joining us. Amber Pfizer, Minnesota superstar pitcher. Thank you. Thank you. I love what Amber said. You know, she, she hasn't been her best early in the season. And it's so important for a pitcher you know, to really start over. You don't just pick up where you left off last season in the World Series when she got Minnesota there. She's had to really refine herself, and I love what she said, relocating that change-up, such an important pitch for her. All right, Beth, I think it's time now for Shaggin' Stats. And I will kick us off. I've got a very great stat. Again, we're talking pitchers. I think that we have got to talk about Mary Beth Gorsuch, a perfect game, the first seven-inning perfect game in LSU history, 16 strikeouts, first strike pitch to every single batter faced, 21 up, 21 down. Congratulations, Mary Beth Gorsuch. Yeah, that was incredible. And Beth Trina got her 500th win this past weekend. Uh, my stat is that the Pac-12 is currently the only conference where every single team has a winning record. Oh, good one. My stat, taking it to Louisiana, just covered them last night. They're three and three versus ranked opponents. All six of those games have been decided by one run. Caleb Bro, what's your stat? Um, I'm taking it to the SEC and Kentucky. Uh, Bailey Vick was the National Player of the Week. She was 15 for 20 on the weekend with five stolen bases, eight runs scored. But I'm also going to shout out Alex Martin's 
her teammate who is tied for first in RBIs in the country with 26. And I'm going to go out to uh, the West Coast and to Oregon. How about their pitching staff? They have just been uh, incredible this year. They have a team whip, so of a .79. They have 116 strikeouts on the inning uh, on the year, excuse me, to just 19 based on balls as a staff. So a team whip under one, impressive. All right, uh, uh, J-Mac, did you have a uh, shag and stat for us this week? Is it time for the J-Mac Minute in shag and stats? I think there's somebody else with an unblemished record out there. You guys aren't talking enough Stony Brook. Stony Brook <laughs> is the third yes. undefeated team in the country behind uh, UCLA and Oregon. They're 5-0. and they, they got off to a late start, but they uh, they went down to a tournament in Florida, finished 5-0. and That's great. Uh, the pitcher, Don Bodrug, she just pitched a perfect game. The... They're off of the best, their best start since 1991. I mean, we need more corn. We need more Stony Brook in this show. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I love it. You can never talk enough Seawolves. For my shagging stats, I'm breaking new ground, folks. I'm shagging a tweet. Did anybody happen to catch Bailey Hemphill this week? Alabama, uh, stud <laughs> slugger stole a base. Bailey Hemphill. <laughs> now they've talked about Alexis Mack and Alyssa Brown trying to steal 50 bases this, this year. Bailey Hemphill tweeted out she is on the road to 50. Oh. She got her very first <laughs> as many stolen bases as home runs right now for uh, Bailey Hemphill. We love a good sense of humor, uh, on the program. So that's my shagging stat. I'm shagging a tweet, uh, for, uh, home run power on the base pass. Uh, let's, uh, let's head to the bottom of the order now. And it sounds like, ladies, from our discussions, we've got a lot of player of the week nominees from Gorsuch and Vic and Framo. I don't know if we mentioned Kelly Lynch yet for Washington. Two walk-off home runs, and she pitched a win over Oklahoma. So I, we, we need to narrow it down. Um, Miranda Ellis, Megan Faramo, our players of the week so far, Amanda, who's your uh, who's your front runner? My pick is Bailey Vick. She was just such a tough out. She made web gems out in the outfield. And for once, I'm not going to pick a pitcher. I'm going to give a little lefty slapper speed love to Bailey Vick. She's my oh. pick. What about you, Jen? Yeah, my pick is Haley Cruz. Same thing, not picking a pitcher. But at the Mary Nutter, she was first in batting average, hits on base percentage, and runs. Uh, I think I want to give out the Clutchness Award to Kelly Lynch. Two walk-off home runs as a freshman. Are you kidding me? It doesn't get more clutch than that. I mean, she's had a lot of li- to live up to, and uh, she's doing it. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with uh, Kelly Lynch as well. Nothing better than a hitting pitcher, walk-off home runs. Come on! That's my player. <laughs> <laughs> I am throwing a wrench in the works. I am going to throw out the name J- Kate Gordon, the leadoff hitter for James oh. Madison. She's hitting 800. She was 16 for 20 in six games last week. How about that? 800. That is spectacular. I, I believe I, uh, that makes me the speaker of the house, doesn't it? I have to, uh, I have to cast the deciding vote, uh, right now. And, um, I am gonna, I'm gonna simplify. I'm gonna give a, uh, a nod to Kelly Lynch, our, uh, our player of the week, the seven innings podcast player of the week. How about that? Um, also, we wanted to mention um, Iowa State new home run record, Sammy Williams. Congratulations to her. Uh, if you're watching hoops, Sabrina Ionescu, check her out at Oregon. Uh, we, we had a big uh, tennis star uh, retire, right, uh, Holly Rowe? 
Yes, Maria Sharapova is oh, calling yeah. it quits. The 32-year-old announced her retirement today. All right. Good stuff, everybody. Anybody, uh, final thoughts on the Seven Innings podcast? I, I think that's going to sum it up. Beth Moens, Holly Rowe, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Caleb Bro, Jen Schroeder, J-Mac, and Buzz. We will see you out there on the road to the Women's College World Series.